Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Ashes Test 3 review. Headingly miracles happen again for the English. Wokes, Wood and Brook. Ease the England nerves. We've got the women's Ashes still alive after some cap seat carnage. And we'll also talk changes to the Black Caps coaching setup and a little bit about the World Cup qualifiers as well. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we're here again. Um, the Ashes merry-go-round continues on. We are blessed, I, I guess, actually for both sides. It's been a high-octane series so far, three tests down. Nine-day gap now leading into the next uh, yeah, next test at Old Trafford. So I believe England are off to centre parks. They're mm-hmm. going to do a bit of, you know, abseiling and rock climbing. <laughs> Anything um, but cricket cu- training. Couple of golf, nights, surely there must couple be golf of night, in there. Couple of nights in Magaluf, maybe a few driving ranges. Um, Australia, look, I think they're going to take some time, obviously, with their families. I think who are on the tour and and maybe a bit of uh, a bit of R and R. But let's look at the Ashes third test. I'm obviously a little bit more upbeat than um, last week, I although hope so. um, it, even though when Bearstow dragged one on, I just texted <laughs> the words "game over" to my WhatsApp group and went to bed in a bit of a huff. Um, but then, yeah, <laughs> actually dragged myself back out of bed. I realised I was just being ridiculous. Um, but Bordy, I'm going to I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, so just uh, I guess the Australian reflections on on the game. We're what sort of 24 hours or even less after uh, after the the conclusion of the game. But yeah, your your thoughts. Well, chance to catch up on some sleep. I think in the next nine days for for us here on on the panel and and us watching uh, down in the southern hemisphere and at ungodly hours of the of the evening and then early morning. Um, reflections on the third test well it's really a lost opportunity for Australia to wrap up the series and a real momentum swing in this series in favour of England of course England have to win the Ashes to to get the trophy back they have to win three tests on a row um, I don't think that's been done since 1936-7 when Bradman's team was down 2-0 against England and, and won the Ashes back uh, winning uh, three tests from there I think they might have even had four tests to do it but anyway details and minutia regardless look it's been a topsy-turvy labyrinth of mystery and intrigue this series <laughs> <laughs> and it continues and promises to continue providing us with boundless entertainment, basically for what now becomes four back-to-back ODIs, really. It stopped being test cricket and just started being two innings, two innings ODI cricket. So I have some, uh, some thoughts on that. But look, it's a great fight back from England and this series is well and truly alive. I think, I think um, just on your ODI point, I think that was much more appealing to me as a neutral than the than the first couple of tests. I do feel like this test was more entertaining in that it had a bit more for the bowlers. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, look, a couple of points. So one, I guess, on the momentum. I, I've not really seen a massive amount of Pat Cummins in after-match press conferences, um, but he got asked the question. So it'll be interesting to see whether... I, lo- the, I loved that comment. Yeah. I know so, what you're going to say. So, so, so I don't know whether this is, this is, look, a reflection of the fact that I thought after that Lord's test, he did go a little bit, um, snippy with the media. Mm-hmm. Now I can understand that you would, particularly with the the way some of the English journalists ask questions. I've got to admit, if I was interviewed by Jonathan Agnew, I, I think if I was within striking distance, I would want to strike him. Um, you know, Ben Duckett scored ninety eight, and you know his his opening salvo is not well batted. Ben, it's you must be disappointed to be you know two away from an Ashes hundred, and yep. he's like, no, I got ninety eight. Like so, so look. I, I digress slightly. Cummins got asked in that press conference after mm. the game. He said, "Is the momentum with England now?" And he just said, "No." Fair enough. And and then um, I think you know I couldn't hear exactly what was said off camera, but it was you Someone know said, care, why not care, care to elaborate? And he said, two one. And, and that was it. That was his response. So number one is about that momentum. Yeah. It was. I, it was like when uh, when they ask you something, you just go look at the scoreboard. Yeah, wasn't it? It was but, great. But the, then I guess on the on the entertainment point, we, you know, one of the things that I think has been peddled out is that we've had three fantastic test matches. I don't think we have had three fantastic test matches. I thought the first one was a bloody good test match. Mm. I thought the second one had a session of high drama and controversy, but it was a pretty shit test match. Other than that. But this one, yeah, was, was it really did, you know, to use the cliche, ebb and flow all the way through. It really did, yeah. But, but Cummins yeah, and that momentum comment, I know you're trying to say that the momentum's come to us so that then you get the momentum back and all that kind of stuff. No, but I, really, I, you don't think you've got the momentum going in 2-1 after, you know, three pretty close games. I think England have made some really, really maybe accidentally good but they've made some really really good selection moves in bringing in 
um, a little bit of extra batting into their team. They brought in Wokes. They brought in Mark Wood. Mark Wood was not only devastating with the ball, as we'll get to, but his 24 runs in that first inning. Yeah, they didn't really, bring him in for that ball. No, I know, I know. But but it speaks to some of the dominance that England have had over Australia in that lower order. And we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail later. But I just think England have made some savvy, savvy subtle changes to their side for this match. It worked really, really well for them. Um, Australia haven't got their selections right for this test. We'll talk about that. And I think, you know, just subtly... Some of that momentum, some of that um, emotional high that England are riding after the controversy of the second test worked for them as we thought it might in this third test. It didn't work for Australia. And there are questions now starting to be asked about some of the aspects of the Australian yeah. game that aren't being asked about England. You know, if Australia had won this third test and Jimmy Anderson had a play, we would have been having a conversation about him. We're not. So, you know, there's, there's some elements of the Australian team that really need to be under the microscope after this loss to England. And before we get to kind of the the, the the more focused questions, I think we normally we do start with the winner and we haven't really let you have an opportunity, Binksy. I, I guess my, my question to, to kind of let you go is that the first two tests, there's been so much criticism of baseball. It's been like this, everyone's been getting all upset about baseball. doesn't work against the better sides. Does it mean it works now? They've won the test? Uh, look, uh, t- to be honest, I'm, I'm not really subscribing to this. Um, we've used the term and you know, the media's used the term a hell of a lot. I, I don't really, you know, I don't really buy into it. I think that for me, we talked a little bit about this after the last test match. I think we've seen a change in rhetoric from the English team and it's become about winning the Ashes now. So, you know, even Ben, ben uh, Stokes in this press conference, you know, you're going to win this 3-2 and he's like, absolutely. Mm. Granted, he's not going to say now. Nah, I think we'll lose four-one. <laughs> so, 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 look. I think again, it's a you know poor, poor question. Um, but, but I th- yeah, I, I don't think that the you know the the baseball sort of mentality is that is the talking point. I think you know what really stands out for me is this was it was a really really topsy turvy game. Um, I, I'm sure I'll get the stats wrong, but I'm pretty sure that there was you know there was very few partnerships other than Mitch Marsh and Travis Head in the mm. first innings. I think that was the only partnership that was significantly over sort of fifty or sixty runs throughout the course of the whole the whole test match. Nobody really got that you know that stranglehold um, on it. So look, I, I don't necessarily think this is a massive swing of, of momentum I think it's wrestled um, England back into the series they now have another must win game whereas you know Australia have got another mulligan um, to, to to retain the ashes um, and England have got you know a really uphill struggle to to regain them but look absolutely you know really 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 positive from this uh, from this victory um, and you know we'll come on to I think some of those perhaps happy accidents um, mm. throughout the throughout the course of uh, throughout the course of the test, I I do want to ask some questions, particularly probably to you, Lippy, because otherwise you're not going to get a lot of talking in in this <laughs> in this uh, in this test match. So I'm going to start with uh, Todd Murphy, um, brought into the side um, f- for his first spell was was okay. Uh, second spell he came on and bowled to Ben Stokes, doing Ben Stokes things, and, and got a little bit of tap, which you always thought was going to be the case. I got the but, wicket, the but end. got the, got the wicket in the end. I thought it was really strange that they didn't go to him today, um, or you know Sunday. Um, obviously, I think the conditions were favouring seam bowling and did throughout the whole course of the Test match, mm. but not to you know not to give him really an opportunity with the ball relatively early up uh, to see whether it might uh, might spin a little bit or you know create a false shot. Um, I thought was was really strange tactics from from Pat Cummins, who um, went for five and over for uh, the first time since 1933. Or you know, I've not I've not I've made that start up, <laughs> yeah. but it's something along those lines. So and, and Boland as well, who will come on we to talk, talk about, about Scott Boland. Um, so yeah, your thoughts as a fellow offie? I mean, definitely surprised that they didn't give him you know give him a give him an opportunity today. I guess and that you know yeah we're talking at night time and the game was in the morning at our time, but. Because I, I I guess the notes that I had obviously wasn't here on last week's podcast. One of the big notes that I had for last week was about Nathan Lyon's 100 consecutive tests and how basically I thought that was obviously that's in many ways a praise for Nathan Lyon, but it's also a huge praise to the Australian selectors because we see so many tests matches sides these days opt to not play a spinner, mm-hmm. not give a spinner a role, not give a spinner you know even an opportunity to be in the side. 
Australia picks Nathan Lyon and they pick him and they give him an opportunity. He was on early in those test matches, bowling important overs, bowling you know bowling overs to take wickets. He was yeah doing a lot of different yep. roles. I thought Murphy equipped himself really well in India when he came on and had his opportunity. It was yeah I thought it was very surprising they didn't put him in those positions to succeed. I, I agree the conditions you know obviously Mitchell Marsh kind of came in took a wicket pretty early on and maybe they thought okay let's keep going with him. But yeah, to, to not really give him that opportunity was was a surprise. Not to dwell too much on the how much Australia missed Nathan Lyon, because I think we missed him terribly in this test match as a, as a point of variety in the attack. Do you think if Lyon was playing that they would have gone to him earlier yeah. on in that second innings? I think they definitely they would, right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I think it would have been impactful in terms of that chase, having, having to face Nathan Lyon, just another weapon that Australia would have to throw at England and another set of questions to be asked of their batters. And, and look, again, I don't want to get too carried away, but I think, we, you know, we've talked about this a little bit with Joe Root's captaincy back in the day in terms of his reluctance to maybe use his spinner um, in the way that, you know, other than, yeah, over before lunch and then, you know, settle in and, and bowl, a, you know, and hold an end. Ben Stokes' handling of Jack Leach. I mean, I look at Jack Leach's stats and they're they're worse under Ben Stokes than they are than his career stats. Mm. But the the mindset, the mentality that he's got into is the thing that he often talks about. And then in this test match as well, you know, Stokes has has really pumped up Mo Ali's tyres, who took yeah. a, you know a couple of crucial wickets in that first innings. Got Smith, um, got Smith out. Um, obviously, got Labuschagne out as well. So to, you know, two really really big wickets, and even in that second innings as well, trusted him and, and trusted him with the fields and whatnot. So I, I just yeah, I just wonder whether that is a little bit of a blot on Pat Cummins' captain. Uh, logbook there um, in, in terms of not yeah not utilising Murphy and not giving him an opportunity to get Australia in that game I, I think I think the interesting thing about this I mean obviously for a um, neutral here sitting here 2-1 is the perfect result out of this test like it could have been 3-0 to Australia and then we'd be sitting here yeah there's there's not a lot left riding on the series we now could have had a podcast holiday <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. And then uh, we, you know, but now we're sitting here, the series now feels like it's alive. We look back on these three tests and actually you could easily convince me that England's had the best of these, better of these three tests. Now, I think they missed an opportunity in that first test to not win. They were in a better position. Great partnership by Cummins and Lyons gets them across the line. Mm -hmm. But apart from even the results, there's still a huge amount of questions about, I think both sides around tactics, around selections, all of these things that you know we, we'll probably start getting into. And I think selections is probably a, a good place to start because you're talking about bowlers. And I guess the thing about why Murphy didn't really, I, I think it was interesting that he didn't really feature is that it was quite clear that the bowlers were the point of difference in this test match, made an enormous difference. The, the Starks and Mark Wood. The, the bowlers that actually had something that weren't just up and down, even though the pitch did offer a little bit at various times, there's just no substitute for raw pace, and then there's no substitute for being able to spin the ball and do different things. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that wants to want to lead into uh, Mark Wood's contribution. I know you guys are kind of excited what to, to talk about him at some point. Well, well, let, well look, let's come on, let's come on to Wood in a, in a second. I think ninety-four one, one, miles an hour. <laughs> one of the things we do want to talk about with is, the is, swing and the power. Are you sure? We can, Baldy's very keen to talk about him now. Let, look, we're we're going to come on okay. to Wood. All right. Uh, so you, you call your jets for a sec. Let's talk uh, a little uh, bit about Scotty Scotty Boland. Okay. So I have no songs for Scott Boland. Sorry, you, you don't. So no, um, Scott Boland's run for president looks like it might. Just be, you know, he must it might have declined in He's the polls slightly. The primaries, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, d- talk to me about that. I've got one thing written down, which is, you know, I think you asked the question uh, to me in the, in the Slack channel. What, you know, what was it about you know, Scott Boland in this Test match? I've looked at the stats from the series. Um, they've gone after him. They're, I think they've had a deliberate ploy that they didn't want to let him bowl into that shoebox as, as he's talked about. Mm-hmm. He has offered a little bit of movement. He did get the ball to actually move at pace in this game and, and perhaps you could argue was a little bit unlucky not to pick up um, a, a couple of wickets in, in mm-hmm. certainly one of, his, uh, one of his spells in that first innings. But they've deliberately, I think, tried to hit him off his length. And, Absolutely. And it's, ki- it's kind of it's worked, worked, I think, in terms of his in terms of his confidence but from a selection perspective is that an error from Australia or you know Lippy's alluded to it anything you would have done differently with hindsight going into this test from a selections perspective look I I don't think so I mean it's always great in hindsight to say that you know Stark Hazelwood Cummins have 200 plus wickets let's pick Stark Hazelwood Cummins and I think that's the way the Australia have to now go 
for the rest of the series if they're all healthy because Stark is the second leading wicket taker after two tests. He's got 13 wickets. Pat Cummins is not going to get dropped unless he's unfit because he's the captain. Yep. And Josh Hazelwood, I think, has been of the other bowlers probably better than Scott Boland in this test series. He certainly was in the first test when he nicked off Ben, um, ben Duckett. And, you know, he looked the best of Australia's bowlers when, when there wasn't a lot on offer in that first test. Yep. So, look... Scott Boland, I think, is was always going to come back down to earth at some point. Like, he couldn't continue averaging 15 to 20 in test cricket across all conditions. He started to figure out that, you know, when batters get after him, he's going to have to do something different, whether that's to change up his length or he needs to find wobble seam or he needs to work on a different skill. This is, I think, his first tour to England. He might have played county cricket. He certainly, ha- certainly has played county cricket. There you go. Yeah, so, he's been there before, I think, with the Australian Aboriginal side, I believe, but a yeah. long time ago. Right. So so he's learning a lot about bowling in English conditions, whereas Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins have all been there, done that. So I think, you know, now that Australia have got a bit of pressure on them, they'll go back to that um, well-tried and tested trio uh, to take them through as long as they're all touch wood, fit and healthy for the rest of the series. Can we can we go to Wood now? We, we're talking about bowlers. I, I think same question to you. Have England missed a trick by not picking Wood in these early tests? I know there were some sort of injury niggles. You know, potentially wasn't quite fit enough. I do feel like he was that they could have pushed him for that second test. He was such an impactful bowler in this series or in that in that test match. Have, yeah. they, have they left it too late, picking him in the third test? Well, we'll find out in a couple of weeks' time, won't we? Um, <laughs> I, look, I, I, don't, I don't think so for, for the reason that okay. ultimately the pitch that was at Lords, and I know that a guy that bowls at 94 mile an hour or, or thereabouts, it's the fastest spell since they started ball tracking, apparently. Wow. Um, what? Was that 1936 or something again? Um, really? Since they've got the speed, like I, again, I'm sure we'll get some huh. criticisms in the YouTube comments, um, which you know you're always going to get on YouTube. That's but good stats from um, you. Th- there is a there is a stat that it might it might be in England, um, but it's the it's the fastest recorded um, his first spell, the fastest recorded spell since they started actually monitoring the the um, the, the speeds in I think 2005 2006 was okay. was around about then. Brett Lee I think was on the list. Um, surely Shoab's up there um, I think he might have been two, before two the, yeah before yeah, okay. then so I, I think Brett Lee was up there with a couple of spells um, and then yeah Mark Wood was up there with a couple of his spells as well fast. so I think that you know we talk about that you know if you've got that kind of raw pace the pitch is taken out of the equation a little bit but I think obviously the pitch you know clearly this pitch had a little bit more in it and helped him so if he'd have you know had to go in and probably bowl the bouncer spell or the bouncer line and length I don't think he would have been as effective. I'm sure he would have been been effective because um, he would have been able to get the ball at that you know that awkward height as mm. Brody talks about between the two badges, the one on your shirt and the one in the lid. But I, I I just wonder whether that might have bowled him into the ground in that Test match. And um, I wonder whether or not they have done some planning that you know they, they've been very open. Ben Stokes and and Brendan McCullum that they're not really planning. They just do what feels right. Um, but I, I wonder whether with this, with a nine-day gap between these test matches, they've gone, mm. if we've got an opportunity to play this guy back-to-back, our two quickest wickets in England historically have been Headingley and Old Trafford. Um, and then, yes, you maybe go, do you know what, mate? You're not playing test cricket again for a little while. We're going to roll you out of the oval as well, even if we can get 89 mile an hour out of you, mm. um, that, you know, and, and then wrap you in cotton wool for the winter. That might be that you know that might be the option. Um, so he, I don't he played. He played four tests, didn't he? Play four of the last in the Ashes series in in, in, Australia. in Australia as well. Mm. Yes. I feel like maybe the um, yeah, look, wrapping I, him in cotton wool is almost unnecessary. Like yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with you yeah. that the the fact that they say they're not planning, but I'm sure that the nine day gap and yeah. all the things you've just pointed out, I'm sure that they that's not a great surprise to them. Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. So look, I, I think that that's definitely. Yeah, d- definitely a question mark. And particularly if we now go and lose at Old Trafford, then it will be probably a bigger question mark. Uh, there goes the run sheet falling off the, uh, falling off the, the, we the stand there. We're, the we're improv. Yeah. But yeah, look, I, I think in terms of, yeah, in, in terms of that question, we'll see with hindsight whether it was the right or, or wrong decision. 100% the right decision to play him in this test. I mean, he was the difference between the two sides. I mean, clearly he was. He was the man of the match, as, as was pointed out before we came on air. But he just looked like cricket was played on a different level when he was bowling right I mean Usman Khawaja has been (laughs) awesome in this series it it, it went straight through him (laughs) it went absolutely straight through him Usman Khawaja probably still doesn't know what happened to that (laughs) ball four or five days later it was just an absolute peach 
Um, and that's what that's what raw pace does. It's a different, different game. As Manus Labuschagne found out, you know, when the ball's 145 miles an hour plus, your decision making and your and your judgment, it, you know, it needs to be at the highest, highest level. The the um, you mentioned Pat Cummins' press conference before. The press conferences are getting quite entertaining. When Woods won, you saw you saw guys saw that when they said, "What's it like to bowl fast?" and he sort of said something, and then they said anything else, and he just goes, "Woohoo!" <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. He's a great. He's a great character it, for the game. I love Mark. He's a character. If you want, if you want to see probably the funniest bit of Mark Wood, um, there's a little clip. I think the ECB released of him when he'd just come out of his uh, his operation when he was still on the still, still recovering. He was still recovering, and he, and he was talking about bowling bowling fast. He's got oh, my knee, my knee cleaned it out keyhole surgery keyhole and then he's like gonna bowl fast he was delirious <laughs> so yeah go go, go and have a have a quick look at that um nice. baldy let's talk mitch marsh yes his family have certainly had a great little holiday in um in in, in bali celebrating his his hundred and um, we'll come on to i suppose the selection ramifications mm. um later but yeah just thoughts on on his first test in i think four years it's been a while i mean we were sort of sitting here a week ago, you and I, Adam, um, and I was lamenting the contributions of the Australian all-rounder. And I was wondering in my head if we were going to see some heavier, more um, meaningful contributions from the Australian all-rounder in this test. We certainly saw that. Uh, not even my boldest of bold predictions could have uh, used Marsh, M as the, as the 100 maker for Australia. Again, he's been awesome since he's come back into that Australian one day sort of slash ODI setup two or three years ago prior to that T20 World Cup that we won mm-hmm. he's done he's made every poster winner since then um, like you said Adam I think 2019 he famously said you know every every Australian hates me um, he was quite an unpopular cricketer in Australia four years ago um, he'd received in I think a lot of fans eyes lots of opportunities that weren't necessarily warranted by on-field performance but in the last two or three years between the ages of 28 and 31 he has made just about every post a winner very very difficult to come into this scenario um coming into this test australia were under a lot of pressure from the media from the fans etc um we were in trouble when he came to the crease we were in a bit of poo yeah and he hit the ball as hard as i've seen a test cricketer hit the ball and that's including ben stokes there was one shot in i think the 39th over in the highlights on day one and I can't even remember who was bowling, but the ball was kind of pad, like knee roll high on off stump. And he just blazed it through the offside. Yeah. And the cameraman didn't even pick it up. I mean, the cameramen have had some challenges picking up Mitchell Marsh and a couple of other batters in this series. But he hit the ball so hard. And if we're going to play four ODIs effectively in the, in the last two test matches... Australia need a guy like Mitchell Marsh on their side because he can just he can do to England what England have been doing to every other team in the, in the world over the last eighteen months or so. Cru- crucial innings, as you, as you mentioned. Um, I know you've got some probably some stats on this. Mm. Why isn't Australia's tail wagging? It's uh, it's one that I did some analysis on uh, today actually because I was I was quite concerned about the tail coming into this Test match and. England, it should wag, shouldn't it? It should wag. It like there are there are no. I mean, well, hold course. on. Ollie Robinson said there was three ta- three number elevens. Let's 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 slow your roll, Ollie, on on that kind of chat. But like, if you have a look at the stats, uh, both sides have been rolled like four for spit, um, one innings each in mm. this series. So let's take those out of the equation and look at the other five um, scenarios. In those other five innings. Australia have had England five for 150 on average across those five innings. England have had Australia five for 200. So okay. for, for Australia, their bowlers are doing a great job getting England five down. England are doing a fantastic job slash Australia's backup bowlers are not doing as great a job, a.k.a. Scott Boland, a.k.a. Cameron Green, at taking the last five wickets for Australia because England on average have put on 147 for wickets six through ten. Right, so six, seven, eight, nine, ten partnerships have been putting on an average of 147 against Australia's 116. When you get down to sort of wickets seven through ten, either either last four wickets of the innings, England have been averaging 99 runs, Australia only 66. Mm. So per innings, England are eking out another 35 runs off roughly the same number of balls. It must be said, 109, 108 than Australia are. So England are getting There's a, a lot- pretty different proportion proportion of those that would be Ben Stokes though. Well, but that's the thing. 
England's tail are hanging around with an established batter yep. and getting him to big scores, whether it's Brook, whether it's Bairstow in the first test, whether it's Stokes yep. in both of the innings where he's gone big. England's tail is doing a much, much better job of hanging around with an established batter, um, and that established batter is doing a much better job of hanging around with the tail than Australia's batters are. And that's really Green, Kerry, um, and whoever else is sort of batting with the tail, their job is to hang around. And the Australian tail hasn't hung around nearly long enough, given that, you know, Australia have faced 100 overs in this test three times, and they've really not got a great contribution out of their tail on any of those occasions, mm. save the... Um, Cummins, the first test. Save the Cummins Lions partnership to, to win the first test. So, mm. look, I've been disappointed in the contribution of Australia's tail. I've also been equally disappointed with Australia's inability to clean up England's, England's tail. tail. Yeah. Um, because there is a disparity in the talent level, let's be fair. Wokes is a better better than, you know, probably Cummins and Stark. You know, there there is a, there is a slight advantage to England in terms of the skill level. But batting at the tail comes down to attitude, right? And I've been disappointed with Australia's lack of stick to when it comes to batting for longer periods than they and then they should be able to do that. Let's get a dispassionate view first. We've got to talk about David, haven't we? We do, yep. I've got um, him on the list. He's on the list. So Lippy, David Warner in terms of obviously um, yeah, Stuart Broad. He's definitely on Stuart Broad's Christmas card list, isn't he? Um, well, yeah, we, we learned uh, that Chris picture Broad of a bunny rabbit in the snow, I think. And, and, we, and we learned that Chris Broad enjoys the Simpsons, but yeah, so Warner averaging 23 across this series, 150. Um, but I think, yeah, we're up to 17 dismissals now or something like that in Test cricket. It's a lot. Um, what, do we, what do we do with a problem like David leading into two pretty pretty big, uh, big Test matches, or certainly one pretty big Test match for, for Australia? To tell you what, I don't really have the answer to that because I don't know that any of the solutions that are sitting on the sideline are any better. That's I think and I think that's your problem with Australia. I don't I don't the the guys that are sitting on the sideline for Australia. It's what Renshaw and well, Renshaw wasn't in the squad for the third test. Okay, so it's it's effectively Marcus Harris or yeah. someone else. Yeah. Now, would you like to know Marcus Harris's test average? Sure. Twenty five point two nine. That's his test average as an opening bat. Um, sure, he has two hundreds in his last five bats at county level, and he's got I think he's adding averages in his last ten first class matches about thirty eight. So he has some first-class form. He's got 200s in his last five matches, to be fair. I think he plays for Gloucestershire, Binksy. Is that first division or second division county? Yes. Thanks. Um, <laughs> second division. But, I mean, you're going you're gonna to replace a guy who's currently averaging 25 with another guy who's averaging 25. Like, is that going to move the needle for Australia? Probably not. Yeah, and I guess, I guess the thing that's exacerbating that is, and credit to you, Manus is also really struggling in this series. Well, and and you know, whisper it very very quietly as an Englishman, Steve Smith as well. You know, averaging just thirty two in this series so far. So yeah, even I, with a hundred, I think that that exacerbates things when you're number three, a guy that you know, Baldy um, will say is regressing to the mean or, or some other similar statistical chat. Um, plus, Steve Smith struggling a little bit, probably just puts that little bit more pressure on. Um, on Warner and, and Kawaja to, uh, and you know obviously Kawaja's going really really well um, so look we'll come on to selections but yeah I, I guess what are we thinking are you, are you thinking you make a change well I think Australia if they were going to um, if they were going to replace Warner I think the natural thing to do would be to replace him with a guy like Marcus Harris who's a like for like opening bat but if you think about it Australia have got a guy in Mitchell Marsh who's just made a massive contribution to the team batting at five Cameron Green I think is likely to be fit for the next test to, to come in, in the middle order and bat at six so there's this question of how you're going to fit Mitchell Marsh and Cameron Green into the team without sacrificing a bowler which they might consider but I don't really want them to or do you go okay well which one of the top six can open the batting for Australia for the next two you, test you matches you move Marnus up one wouldn't you you could move Marnus up and make him open the batting I mean he's certainly got the leave game traditionally for <laughs> um, for an opening nobody's going to argue with you there um I think the extra responsibility of opening the batting might just sharpen his decision-making because some of his decision-making in this series has been quite poor. He's fished at a lot of balls in this series mm -hmm. and played a lot of shots that if he were batting for longer, batting more time, he probably would have let go. Um, he's had some really, really soft dismissals in this series. Smith has been guilty as well of that. But I think if you elevated Manus up to, to open and then Mitchell Marsh bats at three, as he does in the one-day team, and he has a bit of a different role, that means that Smith stays in his preferred spot four. at number four. We don't move Travis Head at number five because I really hate 
weak, weakening a strength just to strengthen a weakness and moving I head out of five. that would be such a bad option. Well, that's and that, the Joe Root scenario, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, he, he did a reasonable job opening the batting in India, in but in completely yeah, different, different circumstances, different, different right? Different so, um, He's been great for Australia. I mean, he's the only other bloke averaging over 40, I think, other than Mitchell Marsh, who's only played one test. But Kawaji, yeah. Kawaji, 59, yeah, and, and, and Trav- Travis had 44. 44. So, I mean, even Travis Head, as good a series as he's having, is not averaging 45, which I would be considered the benchmark for a good series for a batter. So, yeah, yeah there's lots of questions about that Australian top order, um, even though they're outscoring England's top order at the moment from a you know five-down perspective. Yeah. There's lots of questions to be answered. Well, and that's the thing. All these all, like, this, it does feel like for for two and and you neither of you two will agree will or you know will admit it, but these are two very good cricket sides. You oh, they're one hundred percent. They're good. They're entertaining cricket sides. <laughs> um, I, I I do look. I, I do think that on paper Australia will undoubtedly have got better stat, better career stats. Okay, yeah. Um, Warner's got better career stats than Crawley. Um, Kawaja's got better career stats than uh, Duckett. Um, marginally, this does he? Uh, this, I don't uh, know. This, well, Kawaja's going to go down as one but, of the greatest openers Australia's it, ever had. Yes, you know, yes, yes. I just mean Duckett's you know, still got a very good average. I think if you, totally, I think if you look at the co- the composite eleven, um, Australia would definitely shade the composite eleven um, currently because you're not leaving Steve Smith out. You're not leaving uh, Cummins out, probably of, of that side. You're not leaving out. Um, Usman Kawaji, you're not leaving out Alex Carey. Um, Geez, that'd be an interesting room, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> obviously with Lyon injured, um, it's a slightly different scenario, but you wouldn't be leaving Lyon out ahead of you know England's spin option. So, yeah, from from a composite eleven perspective, Australia have got you know I've got the you know got the the, the the gun on on England. But yes, there is some you know really really good talented. Um, cricketers on the part for England at the moment as and, well. And what we've seen from England is their game changers, their match winners of one matches, right? So Ben Stokes is a match winner. He's he's won matches for England. Mark Wood is a match winner. He's he's won a match for England. Like their match winners have stepped up. Australia's match winners, Steve Smith, dare I say it, Labuschagne, etc. Cummins even haven't really stepped up and stamped a match winning performance. Well, Cummins did in the last test. Uh, yeah, hold on. Cummins <laughs> Cummins made runs, but you have a look at Cummins' average. What's Cummins' average in this series? Cummins' average is like 30, 27, right? And he's got a five for. But he hasn't really torn England's heart out and had them fall for spit, really, has he? Like he hasn't wrapped up the tail and bowled England out for 150 or something like that to really assert his dominance on the test okay yes he did make valuable runs in that first test in the second innings and he and Nathan Lyon got Australia home in a tight game but he has been <laughs> you're not going to get a <laughs> positive we, we well, got but he's averaging 27 his career average is 22 like I, where's I, that guy I, I get it I get it I get it you're, you're playing down your, your things I guess the point I was making is that this is two very good sides you know you've got the world test champions You've got a, an England side that arguably should be ahead in this series for not, if not for a few small margins at, in in all of the games. I think you know you could you could easily make argument that these games could be three nil to either side the way things have gone. But you know the questions we just had about the Australian batting lineup, the, the exact same questions could be asked about England's batting lineup. We you know we had Moen Ali batting three in the last innings. You've got even just the fact that he's playing ahead of you lose your number three, Ollie Pope. Uh, Dan Lawrence seems like he's in every single squad but never gets to play a game. So I don't know what that says about, you know, the confidence levels of, of him or of anyone else in the, the next cab off the rank. They've, you know, got Johnny Bairstow who's struggling immensely, looks, you know, with bat and w- or with gloves that seems to then have flo- now flowed down to the bat. Nobody seems to know who to pick in terms of their fast bowling quartet. There's just there's just so many questions, and I guess that's what's making it quite a fascinating series from a, from a neutral point of view. Yeah, it, it is. I, I think um, the Moen Ali scenario, and I've got that written down. I think you know it, it actually gave England some sort of accidental balance in that fourth innings. Um, it just you know shielded Joe Root for for a little while. Obviously, he didn't come off, but I think that that was you know the the right call. Um, Interesting. They asked if that would be something they would repeat, and uh, you know Ben State said probably not. And um, so again, it you know says to me that they are planning. If he's got an answer to that question, but you know as we look forward to the the fourth and fifth test, if if Ali's in the side and Stokes isn't bowling a whole heap, having a little bit like potentially the route Australia might go with Green and Marsh in the same uh, the same side, England might do that because it does give them that fifth bowling option. Um, you've got to think it's highly unlikely. Um, Ollie Robinson, you know, if he's if he's had this back spasm, 
uh, whether you know whether he comes back. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of you know a lot of questions there. But I think the one thing I've you know definitely taken from that balance of that English batting lineup is that you're not going to move Brook. I don't think from five now, no. and, and I think it was foolish to move him to to three in the in the first place in that first in that first innings. And um, he's probably not had a lot of chat about him in this series, but I'm quite fascinated about Zach Crawley as well. And I know in our um, original series preview, I, th- I mean, I threw it out there that I didn't think he would last the series. And I didn't even think it would be a question, to be quite honest. He'd looked really out of place at, at various times. Obviously, there's talent there, and we've all kind of said that all along. But, you know, here in New Zealand, it looked like you know you bowl in the right areas and you bowl 10 balls in the right area and he's just going to nick off but I actually you you know you look at his scores in the series okay he hasn't set the world on fire and he still gets out in absolutely infuriating ways and infuriating times but he's looked relatively comfortable he's got 61 7 48 3 34 or 33 44 average of 32 strike rate of nearly 80 which is the highest in the whole, you know, across the the two sides, or at least across the batters in the two sides, he's getting England off to a decent start. It, and you know, where where are you at with Zach Crawley? Because I think you were maybe a bit more positive, or at least kind of thought that he would last the series and and that they would stick with him. Well, I can't remember. I think you might have asked you were going to ask me about Crawley in the um, in, in the. Um, in the pregame, um, you've just re- re- basically read my notes, I think. Um, so I've got those scores written down. I'll add in the 61 that he got in the test match against Ireland. Okay. So I think if you look at the way that he's gone, he's essentially got a, a score of some notes every other innings mm. throughout the course of this summer. Um, and then, you know, in, in this test match, probably two starts with 33 and 44. But the, the key thing is that combined with Duckett, who's had a you know a really good series, they have set the tone at the top of the order between them. Um, yeah, striking at somewhere around seventy-five, a combined yeah combined strike rate. Crawley's at eighty. Uh, Duckett's I think down under seventy-five now. But, Seventy-three. Yeah. Um, so so I think that that has, and I said it in the last podcast. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say he's the standard bearer, but I think. Um, the Australians, you know, have um, come up against a guy that's, you know, prepared to drive him through the covers, prepared to take the pull shot on, prepared to clip the ball um, through the, yeah, through the leg side. And yes, he has found some, you know, some ways to, to get out. And I think that that's probably the other thing I just want to talk about in this test match a little bit. I think um, there's been a little bit of talk. This was England's third toss that they'd won across the course of the series. We talked about the overhead conditions in the last test match, and it seems as if Australia were always batting when it was a little bit murky. Mm-hmm. We saw a little bit of that in this game as well. But I think if I look at that, you know, certainly if I look at that second um, England innings, I think that the, the luck to an extent did even itself out. You got a couple of strangles down the leg side. Um, and I don't think you were bowling for those strangles down the leg side. No, I, I, not. Uh, whereas England have been using that as a deliberate, ta- a, a deliberate tactic. Um, and then I think the other thing that, you know, has, has impacted England in this game a little bit is, you know, they've lost a bowler really early in the game. And Ollie Robinson limped out, I think, 11 overs or something like that. Didn't, you know, didn't manage to bowl after, um, after pulling up with that back spasm. So they've done really, really well, I think, to um, to come out of this game with, with a win from that uh, from that perspective. I think Zach Crawley has not overachieved in this Test series, but I think he's been. A, I think he's a thirty-five to forty average cricketer in, at Test level. I think he's probably slightly below where he'd want to want to be in terms of like he has got all of these starts, hasn't gone on and got a big hundred, um, but he's been doing the right thing in my mind by trying to get Australia's bowlers off their lengths and off their yeah. lines early. And I think he's done a pretty good, decent job at that. Like, he's been able to hit Australia through the leg side, yeah. particularly if Australia get a little bit straight to him. He's across his stumps and he's working Australia to leg. Ordinarily, if I, if I was coming Stark Hazelwood, I'd be going, you beauty, this guy's going to nick off here because he's going to, like, leading edge one to cover or he's going to get, you know, outside one and get plum LBW. But he hasn't. He's I, done okay so far at that. And if he continues, that's going to be a bit of a thorn in Australia's yeah. side a little bit, I think. And, and the other thing with that is, I think you were taking out of the equation that caught at cover or caught at gully or caught at fourth slip because you, you've ha- you have to have a man out on the fence for him. 
um, mm. square. Yep. So almost immediately you've been putting that guy out, which means he's he's got away with a couple where yeah he's leading edged it would have gone straight to extra cover or or, or, or cover, wherever. Yeah. But you've got you've you've, you've used that man uh, used that man up to so, cover the boundary exactly. Uh, I, I also think just on Crawley as well, he's caught well, um, yep. and we can't say that um, about <laughs> of, too many Englishmen. Yep. Um, you know, so he's actually looked pretty good at, at second slip as well. He's taken a couple of good catches. Good grab off Warner in that first in that first day. Yeah, I, I don't think the tactical part of it should be understated, really, because I, you know, even just watching last night, morning of the fourth test or the fourth day of that test, it looked very easy, and it's because Australia had all those men out on the boundary. They, you know, early on, they're they're only chasing two hundred and fifty to win the test. Yep. and they're still giving away easy singles. Well, and, and England treated it like a one-day game, and I think yeah. they said that. You know, that they said we're going to chase this down in fifty overs, and they got them in two fifty and fifty overs at just just about five and over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and and that I think has been the change from certainly the first test and, and potentially even components of that second test where that they have actually just gone cool the you know you know trademark basketball approach. Um, has forced Australia into those fields and now they've gone we're going to be smart enough now um, you looked at you know Joe Root as well um, was trying to get that weight of shot which he's so good at and, and get two to the, the sweepers as well yeah. and the other guys have started to pick up on that as well they're now going actually we can score at six and over um, certainly five and over just by taking the yep. singles and offer and pushing for a hard you know a hard two when we do get it in the right and this is right what place. this is what makes England so much more dangerous when they when they adopt that mentality because they can score at five and a half runs and over taking very very little risk they milked Australia for five and a half with, without taking too much risk which is a real problem for I think for Australia if they continue to allow that to happen and that's exactly the kind of thing that everyone has been saying like you know the critics of, of the way England was playing that's what everyone wanted to see, right? If if they can harness the the fact that they play with positivity, they do all of these different things, and then they you know then they go okay, well now we've got it's like it's like you're batting against a spinner, right? They've got mid on up, mid off up. You yeah. hit one over the top, they put them back. You take the ones. Like everyone goes okay, that's brilliant cricket. That is actually what England's now doing mm-hmm. in those early overs. They're not going okay. Well, we'll try and still try and hit every ball for, for four. They're going okay, cool. They've got a man at cover and they've got someone back yeah. at you know deep square cool we'll just Zach Crawley will just hit every single ball there and get one 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 so yeah if they can harness that like you say smart cricket it's going to be very difficult to beat our keeper did good with the gloves or my keeper did <laughs> did good I love did it. good done good played strong he, he's caught well Alex Carey I mean batting aside and I think he probably hasn't had his best test match but a lot of talk has now been about Johnny Bestos keeping over this first three tests and, and now some talk about his batting as well you're our expert, Binksy, and you're also he's also your keeper. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Bairstow's form at the moment? Is is his keeping affecting his batting? Is his batting affecting his keeping? What's going on? Yeah, so look, I think we, um, we've we got nine days until the, the next test match, so I think we are going to probably record again before uh, before that test match. So I think what we'll have is we'll, we'll have the benefit of Australia maybe changing their squad up because um, they've got a couple of players playing county cricket. Um, I think they'll be a bit clearer around probably some of their fitness concerns with Cameron Green, who apparently he came on and fielded, didn't he? Subfielded, I think. Um, yep, stood at Cali yeah, for a little bit. So you've got to think he's, he's potentially on the park. England, I think, will obviously assess that as well. So we might talk about what they'll do in terms of selection next week yeah in terms of where he's at and i've said this to you guys on the slack channel and the text messages that have been flying around over the course of this test match it for me he's just not at the races from a fitness to keep wicket perspective um his footwork's looked off um pretty much every diving chance that he's missed or not look i'm no um, major wicket keeping technician but um certainly what i've picked up from from watching he hasn't had his weight going in the right direction um, for all of the diving chances that he's missed um, he, he, you know he's, his leg that he should be pushing off on is not the one that the weight's on and then he's, he's having to rely on his upper body to try and get him in, in a position to catch the ball which is not where Alex Carey has been his footwork has been very very good um, you know even those couple of grabs down the leg side on those strangles he's, he made them look so simple Bairstow would be falling to try and catch those, whereas mm. Carey's been um, been moving. I also think that the aftermath of that Lord's Test match has just got in his head a little bit, and I think he's probably gone into into this Test match. If I just look at his demeanour, and this second innings particularly, he's chopped one on. Um, I think he's just look. He was he was looking to prove a point. He was he was looking for another one of those Johnny Bairstow redemption stories, mm. and I think he's much better off when he doesn't let that. 
Yeah, is he yeah. forcing it a bit? Is he, oh, is I think he... he's for, forcing it a little bit. Um, and look, for, for what it's worth, I think from a, from a selection perspective, um, it's a bit of a weird one. If they'd have lost this game, there'd almost be no point in bringing folks in anyway. Um, and if they've won the game, then they've probably got to go with the theory that, let's be honest, the difference between the two keepers at the moment is that Carey's averaging 23 um, and he's catching everything. Bairstow's averaging 23 and he's dropping everything. Mm -hmm. If Bairstow can just cling on to, um, you know, cling on to some of those edges, um, maybe, you know, have a couple of days rest and then go away and do a little bit of technical work with whoever they're, um, they're utilising at the moment, whether it's James Foster or, or Chris Reid. I'm not, I'm not sure who's in and around the camp from a wicket-keeping perspective now. But go away and do a little bit of work on that on that technique. Mm. Um, then I don't see any reason to, to change that because I still think he's got that capability um, to, to win a game with the bat. Um, and I think ultimately that's now where both teams are, isn't it? That they've got um, several absolute gun players that probably haven't put in a performance throughout the course of this series. Um and you would you would want those guys, um, and it, it pains me to say it because um, folks is a silky, silky gloveman, and there's an argument that he would have scored more runs and kept better than Bairstow. Um, but I think they've made their you know they've made that bed. Um, it balances that you know balances the side. I think um, particularly that they've lost Jack Leach um, as their spinner. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see any changes from that perspective. Random question that was not on a run sheet: Is he better off batting at five or six rather than at number seven and batting with an established batter un- behind him so that he has a little bit more freedom and he's not batting with the tail all the time? Yeah, so there's an there's an argument I think for yeah for for, for both, um, and I think if you look at his stats as well, uh, he doesn't tend to do as well. A really interesting stat actually, um, Ben Folks. Um, his second inning stats are far better than Johnny Bairstow's, and Johnny Bairstow's first inning stats are, are so much better than um, than than folks's when keeping wicket. So right. I think that's a factor for, for me is you know when he's you know when he's kept Tired. wicket. Um, but then what I think that leads to is you don't want him batting up the order in the first innings when he's not kept wicket, um, or when we've you know when we're batting first in the game, so to speak. Um, and then changing in the second innings and, and someone else has got to be inconvenienced. So I think they almost need to make that make that call. The the only thing I think that would make them think against that is how well Stokes bats with the tail. You know, mm. he he has that exactly the right balance of, you know, I'm going to do this all on my own or I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And, he, and he seems to get that. He's perfect. He seems it. to get that right with... Um, and it can change from test match to test match. I'm sure you'll see a test match where you know he, he goes to Stuart Broad, mate. You just keep going. I'm gonna. I'm not. I don't mind taking one. And then the next game he's gonna be like, no, nah, you're not up for it today, mate. I'm gonna take five balls and, and leave you with with one. So I, I think Stokes is better at doing that um, that job as well. I agree. Yeah, there are not many better. I don't think there are many better going round than Stokes to actually do that role. Just the fact that he can clear the fence so easily. You, yeah. you know what? You know what intrigues me about that whole Ben Stokes batting with the tail thing? It seems to free his mind a little bit. I think he kind of gets a little bit stuck when he bats with a with a not tr- not traditional yeah top order better. But like I think when he's got like okay, the pressure's off me now. I'm batting with the tail. I can just if I see a ball, I'm just going to smash it because the worst thing is that I get out and then we get another twenty or I come off and we get another 70 or I'm pissed off and I'm just going to smash everything. <laughs> like that is the mentality where he succeeds more often than not. I think if he's batting at five, um, which is why I asked the question, he seems to get stuck in his own mind a little bit at, at, at trying to be too much of a traditional style, you know, strike rate 45 type batter. You know, he's 17 off 57. Yeah, yeah. He seems to get kind of a bit stuck. So I kind of like Ben Stokes batting at seven and Bairstow batting above him. I think it works better for both players for England. Uh, England dressing room, please ignore that advice from me. Not that you're listening. <laughs> well, boys, I think it's probably just about time to move on. As we said, we will um, have some time to probably preview elements of this when we're a little bit closer on the squads because I think whatever teams we write down will be massively... Uh, massively wrong um, for for those listeners who do want a, um, an opinion I think Mo keeps his place at three and I think um, I like it uh, I think they get wood in the side um, if he's if he's fit and I think Anderson comes back in on his home uh, home ground who um, for so I think he'd come in for Ollie Robinson yep. and I think they'll keep Wokes and I'd just like to say Wokes uh, fantastic return to test cricket for Chris Wokes he's been out of the game since I think March um, 2022 and he's come back in with six for in the test match a um, couple of really, you know, handy runs, uh, handy wickets, and then handy runs. Um, 40, 42 runs in the in the game at an average of forty two. Beautiful, mm. the Brummy both them. I love, I love Wokes. <laughs> Honestly, I, he's just a he's just he's a, a quality cricketer. He's a quality cricketer. Um, 
Let's cover some New Zealand news. Uh, Lippy, you weren't on the podcast last week, so yeah, me and Bordy didn't squeeze that in, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, a little bit that affects the black caps and benefits the firebirds. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's probably not a huge amount to talk about uh, on of it, but yeah, Shane Jurgensen deciding to, to step down from uh, the black caps bowling coach role after the World Cup. So sort of just another domino. And the, the, I guess we've been alluding to it's been happening. Yeah, been happening kind of one at a time with David White's stepping down and then uh you know gavin larson's moving on to english county stuff and then you know now shane jurgensen so yeah there's just a changing of the guards here in the, the new zealand camp i mean i think really again it's sort of just praise for that unit and for for jurgensen in particular you look at that bowling attack that he's kind of overseen over the last i think he's had kind of two stints there but really for almost 10 years i think if not more than that over that span, you know, the Bolts, the Southies, the the Wagner, Jameson even coming through and, and even actually um, a few quotes coming out today from the bowling unit and a lot of really nice positive comments from a lot some of the spinners as well. I saw a really nice mm. one from, from Ish Sodi. So, yeah, basically it just seems like he was a really positive person to have in that environment and, and I'm sure he'll be missed. I, I think it, it's this... The talk is that, you know, the opportunity to go and be a head coach at the Firebirds is, is really appealing. And also, obviously, you know, the fact that you're not on tour and not doing things because he's been the one, uh, basically, when Gary Stead has been able to take some some time out, Jurgensen okay. would usually be the one that would step up and be the head coach during that time. So he's probably maybe been on the road more than more than anyone out, out of that t- the last couple of years. And, you know, obviously, this, during these COVID years and things, it's... It's been difficult, so yeah, no doubt he'll be looking forward to some time with his family. And we're not going to go into a great deal of detail on this, but we'll, we'll cover it in the preview. But Scotland and Zimbabwe miss out on the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Netherlands and, and Sri Lanka go through. But I think what we've got to do is finish the podcast with a bit of an ashes sandwich, haven't we? Um, so the, the women's ashes. Mm. Um, look, is following a little bit. I guess that the men's Australia got off to a great start winning the only test match. Um, but then England um, nipping the last two, mm, two one, uh, right? two, yeah. So nipping the last two T twenties, uh, rain affected game at Lords. Uh, some pyrotechnics from Alex Capsey and uh, look a p- pretty decent fielding performance in the wet from England. Got um, England over the line to win the first T uh, twenty series against Australia since uh, nineteen twelve or something. You, you've been pretty. Pre- <laughs> Feels pre- like it's been a while. Pretty, I, yeah. I, I, pretty, I didn't. Yeah, I read that as well in terms of. Uh, like, consecutive losses for Australia and, and it's been a very very long time um, but then we've got the ODIs starting on the 13th of July so yeah all Bordy, looking, for. For, look, all, looking forward to it absolutely all to play for I mean England have, again like you say women's women's men's series both paralleling each other um, England have stormed back in, in this series to make a, a real contest of it which is fantastic. England have been playing some some good cricket, um, and they've and they've managed to get on top of Australia, which is really really good to see. Um, again, the competitiveness of the two sides going at each other is is fantastic to see. So yeah, awesome and awesome to see the game at Lords as well. Yeah, um, which absolutely yeah, I, think, I think was uh, was fantastic, well attended. I think twenty one thousand. I mean, at Lords for a good that crowd, game. isn't it? That's a pretty decent, really crowd good crowd. So I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah, and and it's been awesome to see crowds coming to watch. Um, the England women's ashes as well yeah fantastic well boys um, another uh, another podcast down and another one following uh, next week we will be back to preview that fourth ashes test at Manchester so Old Trafford um, hot on the hills will be the oval test match here's from a neutral's perspective hoping um, it's all to play for leading in, into the oval from mm. Baldy's perspective he hopes uh, a win in the home of Oasis for uh, for his Australian charges and yeah for me maybe i'll have a bit of optimism about english cricket again next week but for now it is good night and god bless from us all here on the top order podcast we'll see you soon